Luke 12, Jesus asks a question. And we've been talking about questions, right? Talking about questions for the last three weeks or so. Uh, And here's the question that he asks in Luke 12, verse 25. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Now, a number of weeks ago, when I was looking <coughs> excuse me, at valid questions uh, that Jesus asked that we might uh, grow from asking, from, from letting Jesus ask us directly, I landed on this question and, and originally my thought was that what this would lead to would be kind of a, an exploration about uh, the culture of worry and anxiety that, that we have right now in our world just overall. And that's a big subject and it's, a, it's an important subject. But the more I looked at this and the more I realized the context that this, that this conversation is in, the more I realized that this is actually about one unique way that worry manifests itself in our lives. And it's worth diving into that. Because at the beginning of this little statement uh, in Luke 12, verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, this is right before the statement I just read, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear, for life is more important than food and the body more important than clothes. And then he goes on. But he starts his statement by saying, therefore, and any time that we hear Jesus say, therefore, then we have to ask what came immediately before it, because therefore means in light of this. All right. So, so Jesus says, in light of what I just said, therefore, I tell you, don't worry. And so what we need to do is we need to hear the story immediately before it to ask what God might have for us today in it. All right. And so there's this story immediately before Jesus is in the midst of teaching and someone interrupts him. And, and because he's looked at as a man of wisdom and as a teacher, this, this guy interrupts him and he says, hey, can you settle a dispute for me? I should get my, my share of, of, my, of the inheritance. So he brings Jesus into this family squabble and he says, I need to get what I, what I deserve. Can you help? Can you like fix, can you set my brother straight? And you would think, well, that's a valid request, right? And Jesus in turn responds by telling a story. First of all, he says, you know, who appointed me, you know, arbitrator between you and your brother? Like, like that's not, that's not my role in, in the world, certainly at this moment. Um, but then he says, watch out, be on your guard against all types of greed. Life doesn't consist in abundance or possessions. And then he tells a story of this man. And, and, and this man was a farmer, as most were at the time, um, or many were, certainly. And, and he, was, he was well off, he had more than enough, and he had a bumper crop year. And so he had these, you know, these houses that, uh, that would hold his, let's say, his wheat, right? Uh, or his corn. And, and, and so, so he had this house, and he had such a great crop, and it was so big that he realized that he had nowhere to store it. It was going to be great, and uh, he wanted to put it away, and he wanted to hold on to it so that he could sell it when there wasn't a surplus of food, right? You can make more money, supply and demand. And so he begins dreaming. Oh, man. What's, what's the dream? This is the, this is the dream. And he begins thinking, 
about a massive place to store all of his stuff. And, and he thinks, this is good. This is good because I'm going to be able to store a whole lot of my stuff. I'm going to tear down all my small houses. I'm going to build bigger ones. I'm going to fill them with all of my surplus. And then I'm going to be able to retire early. And I'm just going to be able to take it easy. I'll say to myself, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Many years of himself. Many years of making money. Um, I will say to myself, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus follows that up, and this is in, ver in chapter 12, verse 20, by saying, But God said, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? So he says, This today will be the last day of your life. And look at what you've been spending all of your time and energy doing. And he says, This is how it will be for those uh, who store things up for themselves but are not rich toward God. That's the context of the story that we're about to, or of the statement that Jesus gives when he asks our, our, our kind of biting question, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So that's really important that we understand what's going on in the pre-story as we engage with the real story for, for today. See, Jesus does this thing. He links greed and accumulation and materialism with worry. Okay, he, he, he finds a line between how we think about our things and our stuff and where our lives and our heart and our minds end up being focused on. And Jesus does something really, really uncomfortable, which is he even challenges our assumptions that we are justified in claiming for ourselves what is rightfully ours, right? Jesus challenges that by giving us a new way of thinking and a new way of framing things in terms of the kingdom of God. So, so here's, here's what's really, really interesting. We can get into Jesus talking about worry and stopping worrying, stop being concerned, especially when we're about to get to food and clothing. And, and we can think about how we often are worried about enough. And this can feel very condemning, right? Like, like Jesus, we, we, we sit here and we listen to Jesus say, stop worrying. And, and maybe you have an issue where there's been a lot of, of worry kind of in your life about having enough or, or whatever. And Jesus says, stop worrying. You're being ridiculous. And then as good Christian people, we get this nice thick layer of guilt placed on top of our, of our worry. It's like an anxiety parfait, right? So we, we get this, we get all of, all of these layers of feeling horrible. We already are worried and worrying doesn't feel good. And then Jesus says, stop it. You're being horrible. And we say, oh man, I'm so sorry. I feel bad. And it just cycles in. This is not how we are intended to receive the teachings of Jesus. We know and Jesus knows that there are legitimate needs that we and others have. Jesus is not condemning you in your worry, but in this passage that we are looking at, he is reassuring you that there is a better way forward. He's providing perspective. He's giving practical advice, and he's helping you to do a reality check that will eventually lead to deeper trust. It's important to note that Jesus, in verse 23, does not say our physical needs do not matter. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. Verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Not that they are unimportant, right? Jesus is saying, but remember the story about the man in the storehouse. This is specifically a challenge to those of us 
who have enough to be very careful that we guard ourselves against the temptation to hoard, to hold on, to cling, and instead we trust God as we live more open-handed and freely, storing up what Jesus will say are treasures in heaven rather than on earth. As we continue on, second, Jesus gives us a glimpse to combat worry by reminding us of how valuable we are. And he uses an image of birds. Consider the ravens, he says in verse 24. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom, no barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Right? So, So Jesus says, as a reminder, by the way, take a look around. The birds, they survive each season and continue to grow and flourish, and you are worth even more than they. And they don't even have the capability to plan ahead. (laughs) Right? You are our children. We're told twice later on, uh, Jesus uses the phrase Father to talk about about who who we are in relationship to God. Children, right? We are worth more than beautiful birds or beautiful flowers. Humans are created in the Genesis story last because they are the crown jewels, right? The Rockies, yes, they're beautiful. The Himalayas are gorgeous. But you, you are the pinnacle of God's creative love and beauty. Don't ever think that your father doesn't care for you infinitely. So so Jesus is trying to establish a new way of thinking that, that moves our minds away from this, this attitude of constantly focusing on our needs as enough, or, or when most of us have more than enough accumulating, and instead we start to move toward trust in new ways. And, and third, Jesus then gives us in verse 25 um, a very practical input. I, I like how he uses various arguments here, but he says, who of you by worrying, by the way, can add even a single hour to your life, which is Quite a statement, right? That in Jesus' mind, adding hours to your life is not a, like, he says, since you can't do this very little thing, why worry about the rest? To most of us, that's a pretty big thing. Life and death, changing life, extending life, right? And Jesus says, you can't even add hours to your life. Like, that's such a small thing in God's eyes, <laughs> which, which is this beautiful image of how God views our eternal selves. It's, it's beautiful. But he says you can't even add an hour to your life by worrying. So, so why are you doing all of this energy that accomplishes nothing? It might be natural to worry, but it doesn't get you closer to God. It doesn't put food on the table, Jesus even says, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish, it doesn't add anything into your life. Worry in this way has no value. So Jesus is calling it out. Again, not adding guilt, but saying it like it is in order that we might have the framework to be set free. And he gives examples. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So he gives these examples and he he gives first the examples of, of the birds, of the ravens, and then the example of the flowers. And he says, each are unique in how their needs are met. The flowers do nothing. The ravens, they're hunters and gatherers. Um, humans have all of these unique skills of, of caring, tilling the earth and, and, um, and storing even. We have these abilities. 
So, so we can even do things that the animals can't do. And, and God says, take, or Jesus says, take a look. So why in the light of the fact that you have been so uniquely made, that you are children of a loving father, do you continue to live with worry and tight-fistedness? Why is this such a temptation? And of course, the question is, do you see that the lilies are more beautifully dressed than Solomon? And that's a question that we might need to dwell on for a moment. Do you? Do you believe when you look out and see the flowers of the earth that they are more breathtaking and more beautiful than the finest of clothes? Because it reveals a little bit sometimes about how we see the world. Jesus is teaching people to recognize the ornate beauty of God and adopt the values of the kingdom instead of the values of accumulation or stature. There's another wonderful tool that uh, Jesus offers in these physical example statements of the birds and the flowers. When his disciples are getting all worked up, and I think this is, this is a, just literally a helpful tool for us. When his disciples are getting all worked up with, uh, with worry and it's taking up space in their lives, he encourages them to clear out that space um, and to do it with beauty. Which I think is, is profound. Um, he says, notice the birds, look around. Notice the flowers, look around. Currently you are concerned with getting your own needs met so much that you're missing the beauty of God's created world. So he says, take your worry and replace it with beauty. Let beauty and wonder at God's goodness fill the same space that worry had currently occupied. Take something that serves no purpose, name it, and choose to replace it with beauty and gratitude and trust. And I'll admit that's really, really, really hard sometimes. As we continue on here, we notice that Jesus is using both natural and supernatural arguments to give us an alternative to worry. There are practical reasons that it has no value, but the alternative is actually not just ignoring our worries, but instead actively trusting a loving Father. And the key, as we get back into this, in verse 29, we're continuing to work through, the key is about the heart. Because Jesus says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it for the pagan world, the, the world outside of God's, uh, outside of seeking after God. They run after these things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. The, the key comes back to where our heart is in all of our lives. Over and over again, Jesus' teaching always comes back to the state and the place of the heart. And I, I have had many times where my heart is, uh, is captured by uh, the stuff I wear. Maybe not in terms of designer clothing, but, you know, the perfect pair of running shoes or the backpack or, or whatever. It, it takes up a lot of time and energy. Might not be worry in the traditional way, right? But it, it becomes a little bit of a focus of the heart. Too much. Or my heart is captured by making sure that we have enough money saved, doing the math, checking the accounts, thinking about college, tuitions, all of that kind of stuff. And, and again, the risk isn't those things themselves. It's the state of the heart and deep down what we believe about what the good life actually is. At the deepest, most basic level, Jesus is asking us, what is the thing that will drive your mental state and your decision-making? What is it? 
it'll either be God as a loving father who provides and then acting in line with the radical generosity and trust of God's kingdom. That'll be one of our options for, for um, what's driving our mental state and our decision making. Or it will be about having enough for ourselves and making decisions that make life comfortable and successful for you in whatever way you determine that. Again, the second option isn't evil. It just isn't prioritized correctly. And it won't ultimately add life to you. It won't physically add hours to you or it won't spiritually add value to your life in the way that seeking God's kingdom does. So Jesus is asking, what are we chasing? Each day when we get up, the things that occupy our mind, the things that occupy our worry, what are we actually chasing after? Are we chasing life? the life that God provides, the kingdom of God? Are we chasing shalom-making, wholeness-making in the world that looks like generosity and justice and peace and care for all? Or, or are we setting our hearts on the stuff that we need to get today? It doesn't mean our needs aren't important. It just means what the priority is. So practically, instead of this hoarding mentality, uh, we trust God to meet our needs in the variety of ways that God has designed. Without trust, we can't seek God's kingdom first because sometimes that'll mean that we choose the path that doesn't lead us toward um, the highest paying job or uh, the most financial security or tying up all of the loose ends of our life and how it's all going to work out. It means that we don't always go for bigger or better or the sure thing or the um, socially and culturally acceptable thing. So we end up having to trust that God will meet our needs in all of the ways that provide for us while we actually seek the kingdom first. Um, kids, if you've been gathering uh, cereal from the plate and you've been working hard to get it into your bowl, I just encourage you to take a moment and look at what's in your bowl. Share it with your parents or your brother or sisters or whoever's in that room with you right now. And then maybe look out the window and enjoy what you've been given and realize that sometimes there's more beauty in taking our focus off of getting everything and instead holding it openly, sharing it, and enjoying it. This is all, friends, like a lot more countercultural than it seems. We have a culture in America that is built on anxiety. It's built on making sure that we have enough and overlooking how much more than enough most of us actually have. Most of us have more than enough. And so we need to hear this through the lens of that farmer. We need to hear that perspective as being ours. Not everybody, but most of us. We, we sometimes are convinced that if we do everything right, if that's our focus, if we do everything right, it always works out. And it sometimes does, and it sometimes doesn't. And either way, our trust is misplaced if that's what we're deep down thinking. Because our lives are still filled with worry about making sure that we do everything right so that our lives work out in the way that they should, so that we have all of that independence, have enough forever, you know, which we always have to ask ourselves how much in the retirement account is enough because you realize that number doesn't exist because it always needs to be just a little bit more. And this is why our trust needs to remain on God as loving father. We miss the greatest gift from God 
So the question is, will we be brave enough to live an alternative story? Will we be brave enough to live an alternative story to the one that we see around us all the time? The one of constant anxiety with getting what's mine and holding on to it and making sure that I have enough. Jesus says over and over again that his grace is sufficient for us. Literally in the scriptures and what we see over and over in the stories themselves. So with that promise, we choose first to seek the kingdom. Verse 32. Verse 31 says, seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Verse 32 says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. By the way, is, like look at the mixed metaphors in that moment. It's really cool. Don't be afraid, little flock. So you're being shepherded. Think about the care that's provided there for your father because you're children of a father. So God is shepherd, God is father, and pleased to give you the kingdom and God is king and ruler. Really, really cool. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. It's a joy that God gives us this kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief can come in and steal and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just a little kingdom theology, by the way. The kingdom of God is anywhere where God is ruling and reigning. That's why the kingdom of God can be within you if your heart is surrendered to God. It can be in little pockets of our world where, um, where uh, people are expressing God's values of shalom making and obedience. And it can be after this life in eternity where God rules and reigns and restores. So, so the kingdom is multifaceted like that. So, so we seek the kingdom of God and, and we receive it. We're given it. Now, I think about the practical questions that can come up like, yes, but what about those who go hungry? Actually, what about those who don't actually have their physical needs met? Really, really important question. And I can picture Jesus imagining future generations hearing these words and, and asking these questions and I, I kind of picture Jesus knowing in those moments that the one way, one of the ways that God will provide is through his living, active body, the church, who will act as his representatives on earth. So, so one reason in the midst of this that we should be able to rest at ease as we think about the enoughness of our lives is that if we do have lack, if the church is being the church, we come together and we care for one another. If we do have abundance, the church is the church. We come together and we care for one another. We provide food where there is none, clothing where there is none, family where there is none. That's God's heart, so it's our calling, and it's one of the incredible ways that God intends to provide for us. Not the only way. There are very supernatural ways too, but I think the church is really supernatural as well. So I want you to be reassured this morning uh, when Jesus speaks these words of challenge and, and life to his disciples, he's actually helping them to understand the gift that is full trust in Jesus. You are, in, in words like this, when, when we sit with them long enough, we realize that what Jesus is communicating, you are given permission to rest in God, even without getting it all done. This is, this is under the larger category of Sabbath teachings. Don't worry. Don't continue to, to work all day long 
without trusting that God will provide. You're allowed to rest, even if all of your loose ends aren't tied up. You are also given permission to enjoy without achieving, like the birds and the flowers. Simply enjoy the bounty of God's goodness. It's available to you all the time in so many different ways because you are a child of the Father. You're even given permission to receive God's plenty in the midst of physical lack. This one's incredible. You might actually not have enough. You might worry about that. And yet God's plenty in some supernatural way, God's goodness, God's care for you, it goes even beyond the physical and it's available to you at any given moment. That you can rest in the fact that you are loved even if there are needs that are currently unmet. And we pray that the church can faithfully play its role in the midst of those. But God's plenty is available even in the midst of physical lack. Sometimes we think that provision only looks like stuff. And that is a very, very non-biblical view. Provision looks like God meeting us where we are and offering us a safe place to land no matter what our circumstances are. And you are given affirmation of being valuable without having to have a net worth. What a, what a beautiful glimpse. You're valuable beyond your net worth. So you can live in light of that with such open hands. Um, you can trust God in new ways. So I want to encourage you today to do that. To live with open hands because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so God will care for you as you live that way. When those times come, when we have those anxieties, the scriptures tell us over and over, instead of choosing anxiety in every situation in Philippians 4, through prayer and petition, present those requests to God. Give them to God. Release them. Those burdens. Jesus says, come to me if you're burdened. Burdened by the, the cares of all of the things in our world around us, and I will give you rest. Walk with me. You'll find life in new ways. Consistently, over and over, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. First Peter 5. Uh, so, so incredibly important for us. So, be blessed in this information that Jesus gives, even if you're a little uncomfortable with it, even if it feels too radical. And, uh, and we don't probably have time for, um, for too many questions. I was thinking that maybe we'd have time for uh, a question or two that pop up in this, but you can raise those in, in our breakout rooms as well. So let's pray um, that, we might be, uh, that we might be people that can first seek the kingdom of God, the values of God, and trust that God will care for us in so many various ways as we do. Lord, help us in these moments, this year of 2020 and early 2021 has had so many opportunities for worry. <laughs> it's overwhelming. Specifically, there are so many who have genuine concerns about basic needs. I pray that we might hear these words today and be stirred to be courageous in our open-handedness, in our generosity, and in our trust, no matter where we may fall in terms of our needs right now. Deepen our trust. 
deepen our care for one another. Help us notice your beauty instead of dwelling on our perceived lack. In the strong name of Jesus we pray, as a body, amen.